Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. This morning we're going to read from Matthew chapter 14, and we will begin our reading in verse 22. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Jesus is teaching, and in the midst of his teaching, the crowd begins to start to think about, well, maybe he should be our king. It's sort of like, uh, what if Jesus were president? And we might not say it exactly like that sometimes, but sometimes when uh, the world is in a political mess like it is now. We think, boy, one day Jesus is going to come back and straighten all of this out like he's going to start in Washington, D.C. and then move out from there. It's the same ideology. It's the same thinking. They thought, well, Jesus, we need you to be our political leader, and Jesus is trying to help them to see, no, you don't need a political leader. You need a Savior. You need a Savior. Me saving Herod or killing Herod is not going to fix your problem. And they didn't understand that. So in the middle of all of this, Jesus tells the disciples, you get in a boat and get out of here. I'm going up on the mountain and I'm going to pray. And so that's what happened. And so we'll pick up in verse 22. And immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. And go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from land battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, this is the hours just before dawn, they have struggled throughout the dark of night. He came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind... He became frightened and began beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly the Son of God. 
It seems like when we read the Gospels, we're running into a storm story about every few chapters. Actually, there were only two storm incidences that took place, but we are told about them six times. As a matter of fact, if you look at the first time Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, the second storm, he walks to them on the sea. He is not with them when the storm begins. Mark chapter 4 tells us about when he was in the boat with them, Matthew 8 and Luke 8 as well. And then in Mark chapter 6, now he heals, he stills a storm in Mark 4, stills a storm in a man's soul in Mark 5, and then stills another storm at sea in Mark 6. Mark tells us about this very story. And then we have it again here in Matthew 14, and Luke doesn't tell us about the second one, but John does. Now, I say all of that to make a, a very important point. There's no need to put this story, these stories in the gospel six times for the disciples. They knew them better than we will because they lived them. But I believe these stories are there so often because of us. God knew that you and I need to understand what he is like, and to learn some things about him, sometimes some things that can only be taught us in the storms. So he teaches us some important lessons. Before we get to our text, I, I would just say this. Of course, storms are incredible. Incredible, and I, I, I mean the meteorological kind um, as, as well as, as storms of life. But, but comparing the two, just think about what can happen in our world as far as the weather is concerned. I, you may not know her, may not have seen her. I think I mentioned her, but a little girl named Oki. Little Oki. Back in... December, I believe it was, of 2021, this past December, December the 10th, if I remember correctly, a group of tornadoes went through Tennessee and Kentucky. Oki had a brother and a sister, and her dad knew that because of the news and where they said this storm was headed, that their mobile home was right in the path of it. So he gathered up his family, he took his wife and his three children to their mother-in-law's house. And when they got there, they still knew that they were in some measure of danger, so they took little Oki, she was two months old, and they put her in the bathtub, and then they put the other kids in the bathroom along with everybody else, and they covered them up with uh, pillows from the couch and anything that they could find. The dad said this. He said that the storm got really bad and then all of a sudden he said there was just a deadly calm. Total silence. And he said then suddenly our ears popped and the windows flew out of the house. He said it went dark. He said I couldn't tell you even where I was. He actually described it as if 
being beaten by a crowd, all of them with ball bats. He said, I was just ripped from limb to limb and beat all around and, and didn't know where anything was and what, what was coming at my way. And he saw, said, we were totally disoriented. And he says, when it was over with, he says, my wife and I woke up fairly near each other or came to our senses fairly near each other in someone else's yard. And the house was gone. Their two oldest children were crying. They found them. They were hurt, but not seriously so. And then they began to look for little Oki. And they found her. And she seemed fine. They had left her in her car seat. She did have a pretty good knock on her head, and she seemed fine. But two days later, they discovered she had bleeding on the brain. And she had a stroke. And she died. I don't know why. I cry every time I look at her picture. I have her picture here. I'm not showing it to you. It is, I have put it in my notes this morning uh, just to remind me to hear tell the story. But I, when I put it in my notes this morning, it was really large. And I, I just was, I couldn't downsize it fast enough because I can tell you when I look at her little picture, and you can look it up online, but, but her, her name was uh, uh, Oakland Coon. When I look at her picture and the fear in her little eyes, I cry. I cried for two days. As a matter of fact, when this happened, uh, we personally tried to help them some financially. They have no clue who we are. If I could have traveled a little better at the time, I would have gone to her funeral. And I'd have stood there two days if it took it to get to hug her mom and dad and just tell them somebody you don't even know in this world. Is praying for you. I could not imagine it. Storms. This kind of storm and then the storms of life, sometimes they're even tougher. And it's amazing where the disciples and Jesus lived there around Galilee. It was especially prone to violent storms. If I had a map in front of me, of, of this area of the promised land and pretend that I laid it down flat. If it was topographically correct, showing the elevations, then up here would be the Mediterranean Sea and we're coming over to the shoreline of Palestine. And when you get here, you go over some mountains and then you drop, if you're at the Sea of Galilee, over 600 feet. The ocean's still up here. Galilee. Lee is down here. And then if you come my way, coming south toward the Dead Sea, you'll drop another 700 feet. When the wind came off the Mediterranean Sea, it could be sunny one moment and everything fine. And then with, I mean within a few minutes, I can tell you it can be horrifying. It's the way life is. You and I live where storms can happen and they can happen quickly. Today is uh, my daughter-in-law, Loretta's sister. This is her anniversary. But of course, Mark is with the Lord. Who could have imagined? He'd been healthy most all of his life and got a pain in 
his gut area one day and come to find out that he had a special uh, form of cancer that's just incurable. It, 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 it took his life. It, it's just amazing. We, we live where those kinds of things can happen. And we have great medical technology, wonderful doctors and all of that. But, but we live where things can be fine one moment in life. And then all of a sudden, uh, boy, it just, it, it just totally changes. And it says here the wind was contrary. That, that word doesn't quite give it enough power because it just means it was dead against them. They, they sailed long enough that night and they were pulling on the oars so hard and Mark says that Jesus actually was, could see them. Matthew doesn't say that. But Mark says that Jesus saw them pulling on the oars. They'd had plenty of time to cross the Sea of Galilee. But it was like relentless. It just kept pushing against them. Just, just constantly. And, and maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, man, that's the kind of storm I've been through, Pastor Mike. It just seemed like every time I tried to uh, improve things or, or try to get better or try to feel differently or, or gain a new perspective, it's just like the winds was just constantly pressing against me. There are other reasons where we live is an incredible place for storms of life to take place. I'm still amazed at the stat that when we were fighting big time in Iraq and then later in Afghanistan, that our soldiers in those wars with IEDs and, and, and gunfire and all kinds of bombs set up everywhere and booby traps and all kinds of things that they had to deal with every day of their life, constantly being watched by the enemy, just trying to take a shot at them any way that the, they possibly could. That if you took that same age group of young men who were fighting in Afghanistan and in Iraq... If you looked at that same age group of young men in Detroit and Chicago, the ones in Iraq had a better chance of living than the ones in Detroit. Man, people hate war. We need to hate sin. That's our problem. But we live in a place where storms, storms can happen. And maybe you've been through some, I believe, that God's got a word for us. I believe He has a word for us about some lessons that we can learn in the storms of life. First of all, we can learn that there are some characteristics about the storms of life. We will, we will look at two of them the first characteristic, the thing that we need to remember about the storms of life, number one, is they can be very surprising. In verse 24, it says the wind became contrary, and, and it wasn't like this when they left. I mean, Jesus doesn't say, hey, there's a hurricane going on out here. Why don't you guys get in a boat? It wasn't going on when they left. Everything seemed fine when they left. But after they left, all of a sudden, it was like everything just breaks loose. And, and that's the way it happens sometimes. They, they will surprise you. It's like out of nowhere, all of a sudden, man, 
you just are not even thinking about it, and, and, and here it comes. And these guys are not like Jonah. They're not running from God. They're, they're, they're not like out there disobeying God. As a matter of fact, they wind up in the storm because they obeyed God. Matter of fact, someone has said there are storms of perfection and storms of correction. Jonah needed correction, so God allowed a storm to come up, and he wound up in the sea, and of course the lifeguard on duty that day was a good swimmer, and he swallowed him. He needed correction, but his disciples needed some perfection, and so They obeyed Christ, and in the end, God is going to teach them some things about Himself that they had never maybe known before. As a matter of fact, I'll just let the cat out of the bag. The first storm that we read about they were in, storm number one, they asked when He finally calmed the sea, they said, what manner of man is this that can speak and the waves will obey Him? When the waves ceased in the second storm, they said, Now we know who he is. He said, You are surely the Son of God. Sometimes it's in the storms of life that you really figure out who God is and that he really is who he said he is. Sometimes we need a little perfecting. They're surprising. They can also be severe. In verse 24, it says the boat was already a long distance. Some older translations talk about uh, they were, it was many stadia. A stadium was 600 feet, and they were already many stadia out into the water. So there was no getting out of the boat and swimming to shore. All of that was impossible. Coming back was impossible. Going on was impossible. They were totally at the mercy of the storm. Sometimes God puts us in places and He intends for us to be there. And I'm not trying to present to you some God that just likes to toy with the weather to see if He can jerk us around. But I do believe there are times that we find ourselves in places where the wind is contrary, where uh, we're not appreciated or, or we're not, uh, uh, it's, it just doesn't go as well as we thought it should. And, and this is what we like to do. And God knows this about us. I've heard He knows everything. Have you heard that? He knows this about us. He knows if we can get out of the boat and go get in another boat, we will. We do it all the time. I, I see us all the time. Get, and you think about it. Maybe you've done it yourself. I, I think we all have at some point, if, if one situation is not working out, we suddenly decide, well, this must not be the will of the Lord. And people will go to churches sometimes, and I guess it's personal to me because I'm a pastor, but, well, they, they find out it's not perfect there, or they find out maybe there is, really is a problem. Or maybe they have some kind of uh, relationship that fell apart there, and all of a sudden, instead of dealing with that, instead of having to face that person and get in that situation and actually sit down and talk about it, it's a lot easier just to bail over the side. Find another boat with less wind and less waves. Sometimes God puts us in places we can't get out of, though. Oh, we like to run. 
We'd rather leave. We'd rather run. We'd rather dodge. Just because you're in a place where things are bad, it's, it's, it's obvious, is it not? We read the passage. Just because you're in the middle of a storm doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. They were exactly where God had sent them. They were right there. And things were tough. We say foolish things also sometimes. I hear people say that, you know, storms make us stronger. They can. And a lot of times they do, but sometimes they don't. I'm just telling you the reality of it. Jesus talked about two houses in the Sermon on the Mount. He said one was built on the sand and one was built on the rock. And the one built on the rock withstood the storm. And the one built on the sand was destroyed. But it doesn't say it made either one of the houses any stronger. As a matter of fact, if you actually look at life and if you look at what happens, I've seen a lot of people that were faithfully walking with God until the right storm hit. It took them out of the saddle. They went from better to bitter. They became angry. They lost focus and perspective. I I had to check again recently the stat sounds almost too incredible but you know me I like to double check it do you realize that families married couples that lose a child to death 80% of the time they also lose their marriage Maybe not at first. Maybe at first they find comfort in each other. Maybe at first they look at each other as a source of strength. Maybe at first they're, 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 they're busy uh, trying to help the other person. But then as time goes on, I'm not sure what the dynamic is. I'm not a counselor and I don't understand these things. But, but at some point in time, I, I don't know if maybe some blame for, well, you know, if you'd have done this or that, or maybe if our home had have been this way or that way, or, or whatever it is that happens, it begins to pull and strain on that marriage. And 80% of the time, it does not make that marriage stronger. It sends that marriage to divorce court. It's incredible. Storms are serious business. Those are some characteristics of storms. There are also, secondly, some comforts we can discover in the storms of life. We can learn about some comforts. I love this one. We have the Savior's attention. We might not know it. Mark chapter 6, verse 48 He's telling the same story. He gives us a detail that Matthew doesn't give us. He says that Jesus was watching them. And you've got to remember he's Jesus, so he can see all the way across the Sea of Galilee. You can barely do that on a clear day, but in the middle of the night. The fourth watch of the night was from 3 a.m. to sunup. But even in that darkness, Jesus could see them. And Mark says he could see them pulling and agonizing against the oars, that's an incredible comfort, first of all, to know that we have the Savior's attention. And, and we like to ask, and, and, and rightly so, where is God while this is going on? Well, it, 
remember where he is. He's up on the mountain praying, and, and he is praying, I'm sure, for his disciples as well. So just remember sometimes when we ask, where is God? Remember what he said about where he would be when you and I face storms. He said, I will be next to the Father making intercession for you. So just know this, whatever it is you're facing, I can promise you that God is praying for you, and He knows what you're going through. He knows. There's an old black spiritual song. I don't know how the song goes, but I love one line in it that says, when God is silent, He's listening. And He might be watching. He might be watching. As a matter of fact, these disciples were safer being in the middle of that hurricane or storm and being where God put them than they would have been back on that shore with the crowd that he left behind. You're safer in God's will in the storm than you are anywhere else. Just an old truth that's undeniable. Well, we have the Savior's attention. Then we find the Savior's arrival. In verse 25, And in the fourth watch of the night He came to them walking on the sea. And, of course, they said, It's a ghost! Like we didn't have enough going on. Got a storm? Man, we're about to die? Now here comes a ghost with no more sense and to come out here and get in the middle of all of this. Phantasma. It's a, it means an appearance. We get our word phantom from it. Here's a ghost. And I hate to hear people read that like, and the disciples said, it's a ghost. Nobody says it's a ghost. In the history of the world, no one has ever said, I think it's a ghost. Jesus told them, don't be afraid. <laughs> I love this. He said, it is I. And actually, he says it in a way that's fairly unique to John's gospel, but it occurs several times in the gospel. He says, it is ego I me, which is, it is I am. Did you catch that? And, and, and I, I, I wouldn't take my word for it, but Craig Bloomberg is a New Testament scholar, and he makes a big deal out of it. So take his word for it. It's not often that, that we read it that way, but Jesus could have just said, it is I, without saying all of that. But he says, no, it is I am. He's helping them to understand that the same one who was Yahweh in the book of Exodus that told Moses, you want to know my name? I don't have a name like you have. I just am. He is telling the disciples that the I am is out here walking around on these waves. The I am has come to visit you in your storm. The I am knew you could not come to me, so I have come to you in the middle of your storm. 
I will think this is incredible. The winds die down in verse 32, but things are already okay before that because they've realized Jesus is is here. Jesus is here. We learn so much from little children if we'll watch them. They're great teachers. Little children just say what's on their mind. I was in tractor supply this week. Had old Roscoe with me. People think he's a service dog. I'm so beat up now. I'm about to get to the counter and there's a lady there with two kids and three bags of chicken feed. She's about two bags of chicken feed and one kid overloaded. I tell her, you go ahead. No, no, no. I said, no, 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 you go ahead. Well, this precipitated in a conversation with the kids. They were just little fellas, a little girl and a little boy. And the little boy walked right up to me, right in front of his mom, <laughs> pointed to my hook arm and said, what's that? I could have looked at him and went, oh, no, you're pointing out my handicap. His mama would have fainted. She was already going, shh, jerking on him, pulling on him. You know how you try to get him up behind you and all. It's too late. I just bend over. I said, it's okay. Come here. I let him touch the hook and all of that and showed him how I opened it and stuff. His mother was still red as a rooster cone. I had a great conversation with those two little children. They played with Roscoe. It was just a sweet time. I remember when our kids were younger, something would happen in the middle of the night. I'd go in the room or mom would go in the room to check on them. You know, I didn't really have to go in the closet like a mighty warrior and and, and, and bring down the god Otdog from Zomkin with a flaming sword. I, I did pretend to do that one time, but they caught me. All I had to do was go in there. Once Daddy wrapped his arms around him, laid down beside him, kissed that little face. I mean, it didn't matter who was in the closet or what was under the bed. Daddy's here. Mommy's here. Man, sometimes you can still have waves and still have wind. But if you know those arms around you are God's, you can make it. It's a different storm after that. Once you know that He's with you, And by the way, sometimes it takes a storm to bring us and God together like that. It's sad, but but sometimes it does. And remember this, they're in a boat. These disciples, it wasn't a wild beast attacking them. Uh, it, it, It wasn't something else going on in their life that could have been happening that was very dangerous. No, they're in a boat. They're in a storm. Some of these guys are professional fishermen. They're professional sailors. But it's amazing how sometimes God hits us right where we think we are the strongest, where he thinks we might have the most self-confidence, maybe a little more self-confidence than 
we need, He hits us right there. And He helps to get our focus off of our abilities and to focus on Him. Well, those are some comforts we can find. Certainties, comforts. There are also some challenges that we can learn about in the storm. One of them is the challenge of submission. In verse 28, if it is you, Lord, command me to come to you. If you didn't pick up on it already, and I'm sure most of you have, that's a first-class conditional sentence in the Greek. So, of course, instead of if it is you, it should be translated since it is you. I know, I'm boring you now. But it should be since it is you. I saw Tim Wagner this week. I love discussing these things with, with him. I, 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 know, I, I hate to say it because you're going to wish you could have been there. I had lunch with him up at CIT this week, and we sat there and discussed Granville Sharp's rule. It's just incredible. I know. I know. I, I wished I had a recording. I'd give it to you. I don't know. George wasn't even at the table. You hate it now, don't you, George? Yes, sir. Old Granville Sharp's rule says if you have two common nouns and they're joined together by a conjunction uh, uh, that, 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 and one is preceded with a definite article, that the definite article, uh, be, because the two are copulated with the, the, uh, con, uh, the, the conjunction in the middle, but, but both nouns receive the power of the definite article. Aren't you glad you came? I will tell you this before you make too much fun of me. In the book of Titus, Paul tells Titus about our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of Granville Sharp's rule of Greek grammar. That is probably the most definitive verse in all of Scripture that says that Jesus and God are the same person. Now, you, you embarrass, you laughed at me, aren't you? If it is you, should be since it is you, God. He says, command me. And the word for command here is a word that would be used, it's, it's an odd word, it's a word that would be used as the command of a king. You're the king, so you can command this. It is a royal order. Give me a royal order from the throne of the king, God, to come to you since it is you. My point is this, sometimes it is in storms that we learn to do the impossible. It says that he got out of the boat and he went to walk where Jesus was. But he said, first of all, I know that what I'm about to do is impossible and don't make me get started on specific gravity and flotation, okay? We'll save that for another week. But he knew it was impossible. He knew there's no way I can float on that. But he says, God, even though it's impossible, if you command it, it can happen. Because even the elements of the earth bow to you. Give the command. Make it happen, God. 
It's not I'll name it and claim it. It's no, Lord, if you name it, I can claim it. If you name it, it's mine. If you say it, God, it can happen. Because you're on the throne. You've already made a sidewalk out of this ocean to get here. I could walk with you if you just command it. Submission that encouraged. I love this. Verse 29, Peter got out of the boat. That was a place where they knew security. You got 11 other guys trying to stay in the boat, and you got one trying to get out. And they got to be, the other 11, you know they got to be thinking, well, this time he's done it. We won't have to listen to his big mouth anymore. He's going to drown because he's an idiot. We've been trying to stay in this boat for nine straight hours, and he's climbing over the side. He is a moron. How is he going to swim with his foot in his mouth anyway? It's where it stays. And I love it. Jesus said, come on. Oh, I'll calm the storm in a minute. They'll be fine. I know they're screaming and hollering over, and they're blowing that little big horn, you know, you have in your boat. He says, I'll calm the storm in a minute. No, 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 I will get to that. I, they, they're going to be fine. You want to walk on the water, Peter. I like that. I like that. Jesus always seemed to like those kinds of things. When a kid walks up with five loaves and two fish, and you got 5,000 men, not counting women and children, and he says, here, take my lunch and feed the multitude. Jesus likes that. When Jesus uh, does a little survey of how much uh, food do we have here, the disciples have already figured it up. These guys are already over-calculating, and they're going, man, there is no way we can get enough food to feed this crowd. The only food we found so far, Jesus, is a, we, got, uh, we got the sweetest little kid over here. He's got a little sack lunch his mama made him. He did offer it up. He, you know how kids are, Lord. He thought he could feed this whole multitude. Jesus said, bring me his lunch. I like people that think they can do big things with little resources. And he put all those loaves and all those fishes in the Lord's hand. And that kid went home that day with groceries. Amazing. It is amazing what God can do. It's getting us out of the boat this tough. We're so afraid of failure. I think if most of us were honest, we would probably say I'm more afraid of failure than anything. And I know that's tied into the sin of pride, but I, I just, I got to confess it. I guess I got a lot of it. I worry about, I worry about failing. And, and, I, and, and I know I've told you this before. So many times I worry about looking stupid. And, and I, you can laugh and say, well, you should be over that by now. I do. I double check all the buttons and zippers. And I think God must be a practical joker because he took one hand away. Now i got a single hand this whole outfit up here. Oh, man. We're afraid of failing. Thought about Babe Ruth. You remember he set a record. You remember what it was? Howie, if you don't hush, he set a record for strikeouts. He sure did. 
Oh, he hit 714 home runs. But he also struck out 1,316 times. And the record he set was the most consecutive strikeouts in a World Series. But let me tell you something. When that boy did make contact, goodbye baseball. You have to be willing to strike out sometimes. Get out of the boat. Maybe you've held on all your life to what you know. Maybe you know right now God has called you to do things you have never done because you're afraid of failing. Get out of the boat. I can tell you the other disciples, I mean, they were safe. Peter was the only one that got wet. But did he ever have a story to tell? Do you think he ever brought that up when they were telling about the storm? What an experience. Last of all, certainties, comforts, challenges. Last of all, we discover there is a confidence that we can have in the storms of life. In verse 33, it says that after he got in the boat, that they worshipped him and said, you certainly are God's son. You know, this is really not new. The book of Job was written somewhere, this is a broad range, but somewhere between the 4th century B.C. and the 6th century B.C., we think. But when you're firing away and you're using a 200-year margin, that means you don't know when it was written, okay? That's a little hint about Bible scholars. Old book, an old book. And Job says, even though there are water miracles, I mean, Moses opened up the sea, Elijah held back the rain, Joshua led them through the Jordan River on dry ground, Elisha took a handful of salt or a jar full of salt and purified the water. There were lots of water miracles in the Old Testament too. But Job says that God is the only one that can tread upon the water. He can walk on the water. When they saw all of this, they said, you know, you really are the Son of God. Some of you who've been through storms and came out the other side, I bet you could stand and testify today. He really is the Son of God. Oh, I, I knew it before, but I know it now like never before. I, I, I know it now like I've never known it. I know who God is at a level right now that I could have never learned had it not been for the storm. I know mine's not much, and I mean that. So many people have accidents like I did and don't survive. Some have cancer and don't live. Man, I'm telling you, 
I'd do something to you down in here when you wake up. And they tell you there's something there and it's not good. And we don't know where all else it is. And we won't know till in the morning. Boy, it's a long night. It's amazing that both those doctors are sitting in here this morning. I remember Josh looking at me. Tears in his eyes. It's so cool to be loved by your surgeon like that. Really? It was tough. To another time he had tears in his eyes. Kind of, if you don't mind me sharing this with you. I'm not saying he's a big crier, but I will tell you another time I saw his eyes water up. It was a few days later. He sat down beside my bed. He had a pathology report. He said the cancer's gone. Nothing in the lymph glands. It's all clear. I go for another test in the next couple of weeks. If that's all clear, then I'm considered technically cancer-free. Might be, might not be. But I can just tell you this, friend. That experience helped me to see who God really is. He's not some made-up crutch to help us get through life. He is God. And had he called me home, he would still be God. Still be God. Because one of these days, he's going to call me home. I mean, my goodness, look at me. How long, much longer can he keep me alive? When you fall out of trees and shoot yourself and do all kinds of things like that, that's a full-time job. I don't know how many angels he's got assigned to me. Several guardian angels I've heard have quit. <laughs> Said he's going to kill one of us. Sometimes it's the storms that teach you who he is. If you're here this morning, maybe you've been fighting those contrary winds. It was a real storm, friend. And sometimes you feel like the harder we soar and, and the harder we paddle and the harder we pull, it just seems like we're getting nowhere. I can tell you, God hasn't forgotten about you. And there's some wonderful things you can learn there. It's not easy. It's not something you wish for. But it is something that through his sovereignty God can use to glorify himself and to perfect his precious children. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you right now, please help us, God. I pray right now, Father, that you would touch that person right now that may be going through a storm that they didn't hear but half the sermon today, if that much, Lord. They, they're their heart is so broken. They're so discouraged. Lord, maybe they're living in fear that the storm will get bad again. Maybe, Lord, they've just never, never gotten past it. The winds just push against them so hard. It seems like all the time, God, 
I pray, Father, right now for that dear soul. I pray, God, right now that you would touch that person. And maybe, Lord, it is something that they can't even explain to other people. Lord, maybe it is something that they don't even know how to talk about. Maybe it is something, God, they can't put into words. But they fight it. And it's so frustrating, God, because it would seem so small in the eyes of another, but in their eyes, it has dominated their life. I pray you'd be with them, God. Help them to find peace in the storm. I also pray, Lord, that you'd help some of us to get out of the boat, God. To turn loose of what we've always known and where we've always found security. That thing that's always saved us, God. That one place we knew if we could just stay right there that we would somehow survive. I pray, God, you would help us to finally get out of the boat. And do what you've commanded us to do. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.